I would say we're the experts. We've been doing this as long as we basically invented pet insurance in the United States. Um, our first customer was Lassie. Um, <laughs> for those in your audience who are old enough to know who Lassie is, um, she or he, depending on the season, <laughs> was a very popular TV dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's kind of our origin story. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host and I'm joined by someone new today. Hey, Joe, welcome. Hey, Megan. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Great to have my rookie experience here with you. Yes. Hopefully it's not a painful one for you. You got to rip the bandaid off. And <laughs> Get it right off. The- Get started. <laughs> join the show. Uh, but I'm so happy to have you. I'm so happy to have a, a, a new face to co-host with me. I love I love having new people come on and, and join me for the conversation. So <laughs> Thank you for coming. Very happy to be here. And I'm we're broadcasting live from uh, my couch. So I'm in a hot, high comfort setting here. Well, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> so today we I, I'm very excited to have on our guest today. We have on Heidi Sirota, and Heidi is the chief pet officer. How awesome is that title? The chief Ooh, pet officer of CPO. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And so she's coming on to talk really about the, all the changes in pet insurance and how it's evolved, how it's evolved and where it is now and where it's going. Um, And just to talk about her pretty cool job. Pretty awesome. So with that, I'm just going to bring her in. Good morning, Heidi. Welcome to the defense of arrest. I'm so happy to have you with us today. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to participate in this. I, I'm thrilled to have you. And I have to let our listeners know, like you, you came to this podcast because our, our office manager, the, the woman who runs our show behind, like not our show, I mean that little law firm behind the scenes, Carrie Rodriguez says like, you should have my, my girlfriend Heidi on. She's amazing. And then you and I chatted and I was like, she is amazing. We need <laughs> to have her on. <laughs> so awesome. I, I had to put kudos out to Carrie for making the connection for, for us and, and suggesting that, that you come on. So um, thanks, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. I miss you. (laughs) But so, you know, we're, you have such an interesting job. (laughs) So for our listeners out there, you are chief pet officer. I love that title. I love it at Nationwide. But tell us like, you know, how did you get there? You know, because we all have different ways. I mean, we're going to talk about your current job as chief pet, pet officer later on, but like, what was your path? Because yeah. I, I mean, if I, if I were to say you have a pretty cool job, I think you have a pretty cool job, but you know, you, you bobbed and weaved, I'm sure on the way there. So what was your path? I absolutely did. I, first of all, I do have the coolest job. I will tell you that it's awesome. Um, if you asked me back in the day, if I thought I was going to be running a pet business, I wouldn't have said yes. Um, <laughs> and it, you know, like, for anybody, it wasn't just a linear straight path. Um, I was very fortunate to have this role pop open um, at a time when I was sort of gearing up to find my place, of, find myself a business to run. Um, so I had uh, most of my career was leading marketing as a marketing executive, both in human healthcare and in financial services and worked at a number of large companies and smaller companies too, um, and uh, was recruited in by Nationwide by somebody that I worked with at one of those other companies. 
And um, it was a whole, you know, back and forth and I needed to move and I had to sort of unwind myself from my whole life. I lived in Connecticut. My husband had a job. My kids were in uh, college. And so, you know, obviously it was an upheaval and I was, uh, you know, like, eh. And um, as I went through the discussions with Nationwide, I realized that there was so much opportunity for me there. And I knew that in my, the point I was in in my career, I really wanted to run a business. I wanted to run a PL and I wanted to do it inside of a corporation. Um, and I just hadn't had that opportunity yet. And quite frankly, oftentimes heads of marketing are not the people that get those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward, I accepted Nationwide's offer. I started um, as a VP of marketing uh, for one of their business lines. It was a job I had done before elsewhere, but I knew just from all of the conversations that I had and from studying the company and from people that I knew there that they were such a diversified company. There are so many businesses. There's an expectation at Nationwide that you're going to, um, you know, if if you're versatile talent, you're going to move every few years. You're going to do something um, and take on a new challenge. So I was in my role as the head of marketing. And um, I happened to go to my first sales meeting. We have an annual, you know, sales meeting. And I was sitting at dinner with the then head of the pet business. And I knew we had a pet business. Um, and um, I didn't know a lot about it. And he's talking to me about it. And I'm like, and the inner monologue in my head was, I need this man's job. Like, <laughs> literally, I had it all scoped out in my head. And um, anyway, so went back to my regular job and he left the company not too long after. And um, so immediately I called up my leader, who was um, the chief marketing officer. And I said, you know, you know that I came here because I want to run a PL. This is kind of a low risk place for a person like me to start. It's our small, a smaller business within nationwide. And it really plays to my marketing strengths because it is super high growth, um, so much opportunity. So um, I went through that process, was selected for the role. Uh, honestly, on paper, I wasn't the right candidate. Um, the person who hired me into the role said I was the perfect unicorn of that marketing background, the enthusiasm I brought to the role, the leadership that I had established. Um, and they took a chance on me and I took a chance on them and Mm -hmm. it's the best, it was the best move I think for nationwide and the best move for me. I love that story, but also like what I love about that though, is that, you know, you truly took like a leap of faith into something, but also you were met halfway in that, with that same, same leap. And I I think it, it shows that like, you know, just because something might not look like a perfect fit on paper or, or you might not think you're, you're like the perfect fit. You, you've, you very well, maybe, you know, and right. you kind of have to push outside, outside of your, your confines, your boundaries a little bit. And, you know, you, you can find your perfect spot. I agree right. 100%. Um, I mean, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday who was going back and forth on, um, you know, should they stay in the role that they're comfortable in or should they move into other roles where they don't want to know what to expect? And my response was, look, if you really want to advance, if you really want to do something new, you have to give up that idea of being comfortable. You have to take a risk. 
And we, I absolutely did that when I moved to Columbus from Connecticut and gave up the job that I was comfortable, very comfortable in. And I loved that job, but I knew there was something bigger and I just put it all on the line and my family came along with me and that's important too. Um, and then when the opportunity came up, you have to have the courage to just go for it. it I was not an obvious, I was so under the radar for that role. And I'm just thrilled that I'm in it and I love it. Well, and also, you know, I have to commend you because, you know, a lot of times as women, we kind of shy away from pushing ourselves into, into that, like whether it's subconsciously or consciously, like, you know, sometimes you're like, like it's such a theme, like we don't put ourselves out there as as much, or we, we talk ourselves out of the big roles versus, you know, Sorry, Joe, you're, you're, you're the only <laughs> guy on this podcast, but <laughs> that men are like, no, I'm, I'm perfect for that job. And women tend, tend to self, like talk, our, we talk ourselves out of things. So uh, I'm so glad you didn't do that here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there is, um, there was a study. I don't know if I remember the, the data exactly, um, but there was a study of, um, I think it was MBA students um, and they, uh, at, at McKinsey study, study is what it was. Uh, and they separated, you know, female and male students and asked them um, how they would rate their work performance. Either is it equivalent to their coworkers, better than their coworkers, what have you. Um, 70% of the females that they asked minimized their contributions and they rated their work performance as equivalent to their coworkers. And I'm sure it's equivalent to some coworkers, but not all coworkers. And of course, to your point, no offense, Joseph, uh, 70% <laughs> of men rated themselves as higher than their coworkers, right? And so my, my feeling about that is we have to be our own cheerleaders, like just get out there and, and you know, you can do it. Let other people know you can do it or just do it and they'll recognize it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's so important to have confidence and to recognize, and I think that's great that you recognize this as an opportunity, although it's outside of what you were normally doing and you took that, the bull by the horns and you just went for it. And it's so important to have that. Um, and, you know, I I know that, and I'm not, first of all, I'm not a fan of any, any of that conversation. <laughs> Let me put that out there. But, you know, I think that it's great that historically, you know, uh, women had, have, have not been in a place to say here, you know, here's what I want to do. And like, they've kind of gone under the radar, but now is, is really more of a coming out party. And, you know, people are actually taking the opportunities as they come. And I think that's awesome that you, that you uh, recognize this. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. So let's, let's chat about, you know, nationwide pet, because, you know, we'll let, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why you're here, right? So, yeah. um, so, you know, well, first I should step back and let's talk about pet insurance because pet insurance is such a growing, growing industry. And I think it has gotten even bigger throughout the pandemic. I think as like, look, we all heard about the pet boom, you know, <laughs> during the pandemic and, but pets are part of the family and, you know, they, and, you know, they're an extension of our family and they, so there's been such a big boom in all this and increase in, you know, an, or I, I should say more awareness about pet insurance. I remember when I, my, I, I don't have a dog anymore, but when I did and I got pet insurance, there was like two options, you know, and they were both extraordinarily expensive and covered nothing. <laughs> so 
you know, how, how is nationwide pet different? Like, how, how are you different from your competitors? Cause now there's a, there are options out there today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I, I would say we're the experts. We've been doing this as long as we basically invented pet insurance in the United States. Um, our first customer was Lassie. Um, <laughs> for those in your audience who are old enough to know who Lassie is, um, she or he, depending on the season, <laughs> was a very popular TV dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's kind of our origin story. Um, you know, we are part of a larger, you know, almost 100-year-old insurance company, strong, stable. We're not, you know, um, building a business so that we can sell a business. We are not, you know, VC funded. We are a strong, stable insurance company um, with the right discipline, the right uh, pricing um, skills, the understanding how to build an insurance product and, and importantly, and service our customers. Um, we've grown like our competitors exponentially um, through the pandemic and even leading up to it. And, and now um, we're growing an average of about 20% a year. The whole industry is, so we're growing at industry rate. Um, and, you know, you can look at different insurers and see differences in our product. There are some things that are alike and other things that are not alike. Um, we have a pretty vast selection of coverage options. So you can ramp up or ramp down your coverage. We uh, think about things like the spectrum of care, which really applies to the veterinary space where um, veterinarians are trained to really give you the gold standard recommendation for care. But that leaves a lot of people out who can't afford it or maybe don't think it's necessary for whatever reason. Maybe their dog is at their end of their lifespan and doing that big expensive surgery isn't worth it, right? Isn't isn't going to give the quality of life to that pet um, uh, or a variety of reasons. So we think about this idea of a spectrum of care, both in terms of working with veterinarians to assure that they offer different types of care, basic care, the gold standard of care, um, you know, things that you can do at home, things that you do in the veterinarian's office. And we also are applying that back into our product set. So how do we vary the different coverages? You know, are there non-insurance kinds of protections that we can offer to pair with your coverage? We're working on partnerships that bring some of that to life, like with Petco currently and with Walmart. Um, so we're just really driving the idea that pet parents need more and different opportunities for care than I think our competitors are doing. They're mostly about let's distribute a, a product, collect the premium, give the coverage. That's great, but not really influencing the actual outcomes for the pets. And that's where we're really where we shine. And, you know, and I, I think that's a good point because I think at least from my own experience from back when is that the, the the general feel that you got is like oh well this is just a waste this is just i'm just wasting my money this doesn't cover anything so why am why am i doing this and i remember i had that exact issue because my dog had a had a heart issue and my pet insurance wasn't covering anything so i was like well what what am i paying for so i love hearing that there's like a movement to be more like to, it's to actually have a, a providable service. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and having a pet is more personal than having an automobile. Yeah. So I think cool. having that, the, the, the different optionalities there, I mean, and you could, 
you, you could toggle your own experience to, based upon what you need. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say I was personally in a, a fender bender this week and just, and I'm like, well, it's just a car, you know, it just seems right. to fix. There's no emotion attached right. other than annoyance. Right. A pet is different than property. We yeah. definitely see that, you know, just in the, um, sort of the emotion of nationwide members. Um, we call our business, we have something within nationwide we call mission moments. So when we're able to deliver a mission moment to a customer or a coworker, where we really stand by, you know, this idea of on your side service and really doing the most to protect people or, or businesses or, or somebody's future, right. With extraordinary care. And, um, I, I like to think about pet and talk about pet as this mission moment maker, because, having protection for your pet is so, it's just such an emotional thing, right? If your house burns down, it's horrible, right? But first of all, how often does your house burn down? Most likely never. never. And likely you don't have home claims. You don't even interact with Nationwide that much when you have those kinds of policies. When you have a pet policy, you're interacting with us about three times a year on claims. Um, Hopefully they're generally, you know, healthy outcomes, but even at the point where it comes to, you know, a pet passes or you have to euthanize a pet or what have you, the fact that they have um, a protection that enables them to give their pet the best, most dignified care that they can is really important to people who buy pet insurance and back into our company and, and extends out to our partners and anybody that's in that ecosystem. It really has that halo effect. Um, so I, I call us the mission moment maker. We're making mission moments all the time, uh, hopefully three times a year when our members call us for claims or other service. Well, and th- it's key though that the it seems like that the focus too is on having a positive customer experience. And I mean, this is a theme that I see come up a lot when I talk to people you know, in insurance and claims that there's a general perception from the public that dealing with insurance claims is a negative experience. And then on the insurance side, everyone is trying to make it a positive experience. And it's almost like everyone's trying to convince the public, like, no, we're not the enemy. We are here to help you. Like, we don't want to deny a claim. We are looking for every opportunity to, to accept the claim and take the claim. And sometimes, yes, you have to deny a claim if the coverage isn't there, but there, you know, there is this, this inaccurate perception that insurance companies are out to do bad versus help and and i i just hear it all the time on the on the insurance industry side like no we're trying to change the perspective of the public that we are actually here to help you and it's it runs straight through here as well especially with those you know those three interactions that you're trying to make that a positive you know helpful you know good interaction with with the with the insurer about their pet that, you know, multiple times a year. So it, it's, there isn't that negative um, outlook or feedback on it. Yeah. You know, interesting um, in our business, uh, we are a uh, nice way for veterinarians or vet techs or vet nurses to have a second career. And so probably a yeah. quarter to a third of our associates are one of those uh, credentialed individuals. Um, and those are the people that are um, assessing the claims, paying the claims, doing the underwriting, answering the phones, uh, you know, making leadership decisions, creating our strategy, right? So 
we're very, um, first of all, we're all very pet passionate regardless of our credentials. But the fact that so many of our team members come out of the veterinarian space, they really bring that with them to work. And, you know, sometimes we'll propose something from a business perspective and it hits them the wrong way. And we say, okay, let's go back and regroup on, is that an appropriate way to service a customer or to offer a coverage or whatever it is? Um, and it's a good check and balance for us too. Yeah. And also from a, a knowledge perspective to have someone, ha- have people on, on staff that like truly understand the, the medical side of, of the yeah. issues. It's, it's like having, you know, a nurse, a nurse work, you know, in, in claims for, you know, in for health medical insurance. insurance. Yeah. yeah. Um, for, for someone who does podcasts all the time, I'm sure fumbling over all my words today. I <laughs> know <laughs> you're not. <laughs> um, but it, it's the same thing. Like, and I think it's probably like very helpful too, if someone is calling in with a claim and a question to have someone on the other end who actually understands what they're asking and might have some, you know, advice or help or, you know, guide them in the right way. And do, do your, the, the vet techs that now come work for you um are they like a resource for your insureds and they call say they have a recommendation from their their vet that their you know dog or their cat needs x y and z are they a resource that they can now call in and be like hey this is being recommended by my vet you know is this an appropriate you know plan of action or is there another alternative for them for for us to pursue like because there is that idea out there that sometimes vets recommend like the very, very top, top yeah. best Gold thing, standard. but there might be something right. in, in between that might be more appropriate. Yeah. You know, today our associates who work in all those functions that I mentioned aren't doing that. But something that we have in mind for the future is more of that kind of care management approach that you see in human healthcare that can yeah. help um, you navigate your pet's condition or get ahead of obesity or something else. That's certainly in our plans for the future, but at the same time, um, every one of our members gets a free uh, telehealth um, line, right? So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, they can call our vet helpline and talk to um, various veterinary professionals. We have veterinarians on staff as well as vet techs, nurses, and so on. Um, And they can help them really understand the care that's being recommended, understand, do I need to get my dog to a vet right away? Does my cat have to go to the hospital? Um, you know, my snake is shedding its skin too much, whatever <laughs> the issue is, they can educate, triage, guide you, answer those questions. It's a really great service that comes with all of our policies. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's probably so valuable to have. And it's, it, it does work as a, you know, a second of opinion too. And, um, and also put your customers like minds at ease too. Yep. Yep. So w- one thing, um, I, I learned <laughs> throughout or throughout my preparation for today is, a terminology that I, I believe you guys use is the pet effect. So what is the pet effect? <laughs> um, so really the pet effect is about the human animal bond, right? The bond that we have with our pets and the fact that we're good for each other, right? Humans obviously 
bring pets into their homes, let them sleep in the bed, right? They're nowadays they're wearing clothes. <laughs> People are buying houses and planning vacations around their pets. It's, you know, they've really become part of the family. Um, and, you know, it's not without good reason. Pets are good for human health too. Um, there was a study that's, I don't think it's out fully yet, but um, it was conducted by the Human Animal Bond Research Institute, which by the way, I sit on the board of that organization, full disclosure. Um, they did it with Mars Veterinary Care. Um, and it uh, indicates that humans who have regular pet interactions, so have pets in their life on a regular basis, are saving the medical system, the healthcare, human healthcare system, almost $23 billion a year because pets help them in terms of mental health, pets get them out and walking, pets do all kinds of things for the human condition um, that really aren't um, calculated into our everyday life. And the pet effect is really that, that symbiosis between pets and humans that really make them an important part of our own well-being. And again, that could be mental, it could be physical, it can be in a number of ways. Um, and, you know, we're proud to be a part of that. I think that, I mean, that's so true too. And like, especially as we see like the more, the pop-up of the, like the emotional, like the emotional support animals, like, you know, that, that runs a range from outside the typical, right? <laughs> you know, when yeah. you see people bringing peacocks on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've <laughs> heard that. I've heard it anecdotally, but I've never heard of the term pet effect. And I, you know, I love that there are studies that prove objectively what we all kind of thought already. Uh, and I'm sure probably the, the reverse is true as well, where, um, humans that have a high level of connection with their pets are also helping the well-being of, of the pets as well. Yeah, that's right. You know, just seniors alone, if you think about it, when seniors have pets, you know how isolated seniors can become yeah. when they maybe lose their spouse or their family lives far away or they're living in a, you know, an independent living or assisted living facility. Having a pet just brings down that social isolation factor right? Which then improves their mental health. And oftentimes we see seniors literally stay alive because they don't want to die and have their pet not have a home or a parent. Um, they're just incredible contributors to our overall mortality or, or, or they help with mortality, I should say, um, and well-being. And I'm sure seniors are more active as a result of their pets yeah. as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, Unless they have like a fish. <laughs> similar to the similar to the golf effect where, where the masters is on right now, I guess. Yeah. As as well. So, you know, what do you do you have or do you have any thoughts on the like what employers can do to to encourage this this pet effect to, you know, like we have it in our, our office in Philadelphia, you know, um, well, I mean, when everyone went to our office in Philadelphia, we don't all go, but you know, there were some people who'd always bring their, their dogs in the office. And I loved going to the office the day that the, you know, the pups were, were there just because it, it brought me happiness. I didn't have my own dogs at home and to go there and, you know, toss a, toss a ball and play with them. And, you know, it was just, I don't know, it brightened my day. Um, so I personally think, yes, like it, it would, to, 
to allow your employees if they're coming into an into an actual brick and mortar office you know having a a open pet policy i see i see a giant positive to that yeah you know there's so many ways that you can be a pet friendly employer um not every employer has the ability to bring pets into the workplace they might you know lease space for example or hospital might might not be a great place right right Uh, (laughs) restaurant what have you right (laughs) so not everybody can do it it's fantastic if you can and you do but there are other ways to be pet friendly as well and they can be as simple as offering pet insurance as a benefit like you just described it could be offering what we call paternity leave right or um you know bereavement time if a pet passes um, having adoption days at your site, maybe once a month, bringing in puppies or kittens for stress days, or, you know, those sort, there's so many ways to integrate pets. Um, and, you know, today's employees really think of their pet as a, a part of their family, like a, a starter child, or even if they have children, their favorite child. <laughs> and, um, you know, they want their employer, since they get all of their benefits to their employer, they want their employer to consider the pet as part of the family unit. And, you know, I saw a study about, um, you know, millennials and Gen Zs. Um, They said that, you know, something like about half of them said that they would take into consideration whether or not to stay at a job or look for a new job if their employer had pet-friendly policies. That's really important. Like the most of the workplace these days is millennials and Gen Zs. And so if half of them are saying, you know, it's important that you do something to recognize my pet is part of my family when you consider my benefits, something that employers need to pay attention to. And also, you know, there's just much more engagement of employees um, in companies that have pet friendly benefits. Um, And the whole, the list just goes on. It's, it's never a bad thing for an employer to add a pet benefit. And from a, I can just speak for pet insurance. It's free to the employer. The employee pays the cost. The employer makes it available and uniquely nationwide um, has plans that are designed for the employer channel. Whereas our uh, competitors use the, um, the same plan that they go to market direct to consumer uh, in their employer channel. Ours is unique and and designed specifically for that channel. So there's preferred pricing and some other perks and things that are built in there. Well, it's actually funny. I was on I was interviewing someone earlier today, and one of the questions was asked if we had any pet benefits, and I was like, "I'm so glad you asked this. I have a podcast in an hour. (laughs) 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 That this is part of the discussion." Uh, and it was funny because this person was saying, oh, I was in an interview somewhere else and they were like talking about that, that, you know, was one of the their perks. I was like, well, th- thank you for, for mentioning this. <laughs> um, well, but one thing that, that does, I, or it does arise that we, I, like I, we were talking about like pets being part of, you know, part of the family, but per under policies though, pets are considered property. And yeah. I imagine that is mentally sometimes difficult for people to conceptualize because their their pet isn't their property their pet is their child you know it, it is part of their family so um do you, on your end do you notice some at least struggles with some of your customers that like that the, that their pet is considered property according 
pursuant to this insurance policy? I don't know. I mean, certainly from our perspective as an insurer, uh, it can be frustrating to my team, right? When we're in line, you know, with boats and, you know, other things that fall into the same property and casualty bucket. Um, and we're here trying to save a life, right? <laughs> and um, <laughs> so it makes it challenging um, sometimes to design the plans that the way we'd like to design them. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, we're more similar to human health insurance in some ways than to property and casualty insurance. Um, something that's happening right now uh, in the pet insurance industry and the PNC industry is there is a model law that's been drafted um, by the NAIC. Um, and it's an attempt to make some level of standardization uh, for pet insurance plans across companies. And you know, it's something that we really welcome at Nationwide because as you said earlier in our discussion, it's a little bit of the Wild West. I don't know what my plan's gonna cover and it's not consistent from plan to plan and how do I know if something's excluded and so on. And so this idea that there is now a model law um, that is going state by state now to be passed or modified as each state feels appropriate. I think I'll do a lot um, to get some, you know, just this idea of standardization that I always know that the deductible is going to act this way and that this is how pre-existing conditions are treated. Here's how waiting periods are treated. And I can expect the same across the board within my state. I think that's going to be a really important development. Um, that all of the pet insurance companies will have to deal with and, and mm -hmm. get in line with those regulations in order to be able to distribute a product. And I think it's good for the consumer. Yeah. And, and I think it takes a lot of the, the questions out. You know, right. it, it feels much more um, transparent, Yeah, I think. Right. Um, so, you know, and when you bring up coverages, you know, I am curious, though, like what and um, people listening might be curious, is like, what so, what kind of coverages are we looking at though for, or what, or what kind of coverages are provided? Because obviously the first thing that comes to mind to me is, yeah, obviously it's like vet care, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, <clears throat> what else like falls under this coverage umbrella? Yeah, so I can speak for our plans, of course. Yes. Again, yes. because there isn't- Only your plans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me talk about everybody else's plans. Um, because there isn't standardization, it, again, it's not the same across the board. Most of nationwide plans, um, it's, we, first of all, we have a variety of plans. So you can ramp up your coverage or ramp it down, right? And so I'm going to speak generally to the things that we cover, but not every plan covers everything, right? So you got to pick the, the plan that suits your needs best. Right. Um, but, uh, you can, you know, go super basic and just get an accident and injury plan. So that's kind of like a catastrophic, if my cat got hit by a car, yeah. right. Um, and it was obviously an accident. I'm going to go to the vet have emergency, you know, serve a care, um, that would be covered up under that kind of plan. But, um, if my cat got diabetes, it would not be covered under that kind of plan because it's just accident and injury. Mm -hmm. Most people do not buy accident and injury only plans. Um, what they generally buy is accident, injury, and illness, right? And sometimes they add wellness on top of that as well. And so illness is where you get the bulk of your veterinary services and prescription drugs. So 
your for nationwide we cover veterinary fees so when you you know just that visit cost when you go to the vet that's eighty dollars a hundred dollars depending on your vet plus whatever care your veterinarian is giving the pet um that includes any telehealth uh, it covers specialists if you get referred those sorts of things um of course it covers emergency visits right um, it covers hospitalization and surgeries. It covers drugs, even prescription food oftentimes. Um, and then all the various tests, diagnostic testing, blood tests, x-rays, MRIs, so on and so forth. Um, and then maintaining, you know, a pet who might have a chronic condition. Again, diabetes, skin allergies, skin allergies. Well, both of those are really big ones actually yeah. for, for pets that are insured by Nationwide. Um, and, uh, so it's really comprehensive. Right. And we have folks who have, like I said, wellness plans and there's, uh, two, uh, schools of thought on wellness plans. Uh, generally wellness, wellness is not really insurance, right? It's the expected. It's like maintaining, you know, giving your car, uh, an oil change. You don't buy insurance to get oil changes oftentimes. And so that's kind of how people think about wellness. Sometimes they buy it because they like the idea that they can spread their wellness payments over the course of a year in like a premium, right? And always have uh, the, the medications or whatever they need for, for their wellness. Um, and other people say, well, I can just budget for that and I'll pay for it out of pocket and not have that embedded in my insurance. Um, and so uh, there's two sides of the coin there. And then again, our plan, as I mentioned before, covers um, telehealth, right? So 24 hours a day, you can call talk to a veterinarian or another veterinary expert um, and get guidance about what to do in your pet situation. Now, this, this might be pushing a little out of maybe what you can talk to. So you can tell me, no, Megan, I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm thinking more so like about dogs, like there's certain breeds of dogs that are more prone to certain types of health yeah. ailments. Is that type of thing factored in, I mean, I'm assuming yeah. it is, it factored into policy price points and things like that when you're factoring the breed of the dog and predispositions for type certain types of um, health ailments? That's right. Yes. Um, <laughs> we do um, rate based on the species, so dog, cat, you know, uh, bird, what have you, um, the breed within that species. Um, the age of the pet um, and um, the zip code that you live in, right? Because the cost of care is going to be different in your area than my area. And those are the main uh, factors that drive the premium of, of the product. And um, we tend not to exclude, we price for the risk that we're taking. Yeah. Is the, is the uh, just out of curiosity, is the caretaker taken into account when you're pricing out um, the insurance for the pets, like as far as their their background, because I think that's an interesting question as to you know what their yeah. uh, situation is. Yeah, no, um, it is not. It's something that we talk about though, is we know of course a lot about the pets that we cover. We want to know more about the people who keep the pets that we cover, right? Because oftentimes the care that's given to a pet is really dependent on the owner's feelings about right. what they need, right? Pets can't make their decision. They don't have a wallet, right? They can't decide that for themselves. And um, so you're right though, there are differences in utilization based on the human's behavior more so than the pet's behavior. 
Yeah, I would see, I could see that being like, just generalizing though, you, I would think like there's, there's certain, like some people might be more inclined to be more active in care, or if you, you know, if you're in a more rural area, maybe the pet spending more time outdoors yeah. or, you know, or you have for like an indoor, if you allow your cat to go in, stay indoors versus go outdoors, like there's a lot more risks involved depending on, right. you know, right. what the owner is comfortable with or you right. know, how they, they run their houses to yeah. their pets. And right. the regional I, risks, if you think about, you know, I used to live in New England, Lyme disease is a thing. Now right. I live in Southern California. Lyme disease is not a thing. No. <laughs> I don't know how many claims happen in New England based on Lyme disease, but they're probably not happening here. And so um, we have talked about this sort of regionalization. We haven't quite gotten as that sophisticated yet in our rating. We would like to be able to do that so that people really pay their fair share for the coverage that they're getting rather than all the Lyme disease dogs are, you know, um, spending more money on Lyme disease than the people in other places where it's not prevalent are paying into that bucket. Do you find that individuals that have the more robust coverage with the routine wellness that there's like a lower rate of accidents and Ill illnesses as a, re as a result of having that, you know, the full spectrum of the gold standard of co coverage? Yeah, I mean, Anecdotally, we do see that people who buy higher value plans have higher utilization. And I don't know necessarily if it's because they have breeds that require more care or because they're a super extra doting parent, right? That's going to take their pet in um, when maybe you could have called telehealth or treated it at home or something else. But we definitely do see that pattern that um, you know, the more robust the plan, the more the plan's going to get used. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> paying for it. I mean, right. <laughs> right. And then, right. They're paying for the cut. They deserve it. Go for it. Right. Yep. Take care of your pet. We want you to take care of your pet. I mean, have you seen or heard within, within nationwide about like any obscure odd requests for like coverage for pets being like, hmm, we haven't really thought about covering that one. Like it, it, anything like that? Well, to be honest, we cover thousands, I think, of species. Um, so we're the only carrier, the only carrier in America, maybe the world, I don't know, um, that covers anything besides dogs and cats. Okay. So we cover birds and exotic animals, which is a huge bucket. I don't even think we've defined every possible species in that and subspecies in that bucket. Uh, the real determiner is, um, are they a companion animal? So like a horse isn't a companion animal. They don't live in your house. Um, but a lizard, nope, all right, a lizard. There is a photo of a horse right above me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I would, I mean, you know, you can picture I mean. somewhere else, but not as a picture. <laughs> Um, but, you know, we cover hedgehogs, sugar gliders. I don't even know what some of these animals are. Porcupine, not porcupines. Um, uh, uh, gerbils and hamsters, rabbits. Uh, I don't have the full list in front of me, but it, it's an endless list <laughs> of companion animals that we'll cover under our avian and exotic plans. And something like 15% of U.S. households actually have these alternative pets, right? Alternatives to dogs and cats, oftentimes with a dog or a cat. So um, well, it's a pretty big audience. What? And I, I seriously, I'm just thinking about this, but you know, I'm thinking about the whole Tiger King 
So funny. <laughs> we do but, not catch your tigers. <laughs> but, but I, Probably I guess, a smart business decision. Yeah, that was my reasoning. For the like, people that are involved with them. <laughs> yeah, like that would be a real way to like track down this, you know, like kind of clamp down on the these illegal trafficking of, you know. And, and that tigers. factors into the person analysis that I was talking about before right. too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should I, I digress but we pre-covid we went there's a, a sanctuary in florida that we went to that has like tigers and bears and lions and all the thing and we we took the kids the kids love it and I, but i'm leaving there i'm like this seems like i don't know this like it seems very odd and i like kid you not like a few months later COVID happened tiger king gets released and i was like oh weird yeah, that was definitely a tiger king type of place <laughs> like and i felt all guilty about giving them my money but i'm like but the girls got to feed a bear <laughs> i know it's like you want so bad to like be involved with zoo and wild animals and at the same time you're like am i being cruel should they be locked up right so it's such a it's hard to know what the right thing to do is it's right. all in good intent but maybe not the best thing yeah, I like that. I just heard that like what Sea World is releasing that the one whale into the wild after thirty years. I was like, well, what's it's not going to what to do out in the wild? Like, I know he's so <laughs> sheltered at this point. Is that Shamu? That's who they're releasing. I, I think that's uh, Tilium, right? Is that oh. the name of the whale? I, I I saw the documentary about it as well, like a few years ago. Um, I'm I not up was... on the name. I just I saw the article. I, I, the name. <laughs> I just I I just it struck me as a a like at this point that might be doing a disservice for this this whale that doesn't right. know how to live in the wild because it's been in captivity right. for 30 years. Right, but right. who who am I to say anything? I, I'm not here to start some animal debate over the animal <laughs> yeah. debate. Um so you know I I, I how how do you see the the pet insurance industry shifting and changing as, as we move forward? Like, what what are what are some things that you anticipate we're going to see in the years to come? Um, so, first of all, it's growing very fast. I think we're going to, uh, you know, I've read reports that say the pet industry broadly is going to triple in probably by about twenty twenty eight or twenty thirty. Pet insurance is growing twice as fast as the broader pet industry. So you're just going to see that exponential growth. Today, about three or 4% of pets have insurance coverage. Um, that number is going to ramp up. And it sounds like a super low percentage, especially when you compare it to other countries who have a much higher percentage. Um, but other countries have a much smaller number of pets overall. So, you know, if we have 100 million pets, um, you know, another country might have 6 million pets and cover half of them. So it ends up being about the same. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of growth in pet insurance and things that are related to pet insurance, wellness plans, things like the different kinds of subscription plans, home deliveries, things like that, as well as wearables and all of those things to help track your pet's health and get ahead of health issues. I think that's one big one. Um, for us, where we're headed, uh, I talked about this a little bit, is this idea that we want to lower the barriers to care, make it more accessible uh, to people. And access doesn't just mean affordable, although that's one of the things that we're working on, but it can also mean, you know, for example, we do a partnership with um, Walmart today, um, where you can go there 
and to the human pharmacy and get your pet medications. I think they stock the top 20 or so um, medications for pets. And not only have we negotiated a significant price uh, decrease uh, so that people can enjoy that discount, um, but you know, if you think about Walmart, their pharmacies are open seven days a week. There's a Walmart within 10 minutes of your house. You can get there on a bus, right? There's different kinds of access versus going to your veterinarian. So if you have a pet that takes, you know, has a chronic disease and is on medication 12 months a year, and you need to get 12 fills a year, how much easier is it to get it at a human pharmacy when you're getting your groceries or whatever it is that you're buying? And have a significant discount. And we also have a claims, um, an automated claims process at the pharmacy counter. So it operates kind of like human insurance uh, in that regard. And so this idea of making care more accessible, whether it be like that, or we're working on a partnership with Petco where we're gonna integrate the care that their veterinarians provide with the insurance, right? So there'll be a sharing of data, um, we're, you know, looking at, you know, they already have automated appointment setting. What are the things that we can bring together to make it easier? And also even think about, you know, are there things that we can do to just make getting the care easier, working with their veterinarians? And the last example I'll give you, this is my own personal experience, and it's kind of um, set the, uh, set my mind about where I want to take this. I had a, a pet that passed about a year and a half ago. She was the sweetest. Her name was Millie. I love her. Um, we got her as a senior and she quickly developed um, chronic kidney disease. And so when you a dog has chronic kidney disease, you have to give it fluids subcutaneously. So it's just like a little IV bag and you stick a needle like behind their, um, you know, in their, their, between their shoulder blades and you give them some fluid. And we were going into the vet uh, twice a week during COVID to do this. And I think it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like $80 every time I showed up at the vet to do this. It, I had to go obviously during the vet's hours. Um, it was COVID. My dog was skittish because she's sick and she was skittish anyway. doesn't like going to the vet, getting in the car. And so it was just the whole thing. And one of the appointments, the, the tech says to me, hey, I can show you how to do this, give you the bag of fluid and you can do it at home. I was like, really? Okay. So I did that. So I started doing it at home. We would do it at night before she went to bed. So it wouldn't rattle her. Right. It cost me $18 for the bag of fluid that lasted five um, applications, right. Versus $80 for the one time I went, regardless of whether I have insurance, like I, I would rather pay, you know, 10% of $18 than 10% of $80 five times. Um, right. So it's that kind of thing. How do we afford more opportunities for people to give their pets care than they're able to give now? And that's really, I don't even remember what your question was at this point, because I'm so passionate about this. <laughs> that's where we're headed. Like that's the future we see. And it sounds like you're tapping the right partnerships to enable you to do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The big part of our strategy. Yeah. I mean and, and the partnership, I would just say the partnerships, um, of course, there's a distribution aspect. And I think that where we differentiate ourselves is, yes, there's distribution, but the point of the partnership isn't just the distribution. That kind of comes along. It's more about opening up more avenues for care, bringing down the cost, making it more accessible. Right. And convenience, right? Convenience and better outcomes for the pet. If you think about my Millie, 
Like it was a way better outcome for us to do it at home and her to just go to bed and be done with it. Right. It's terrible during, you know, during any time, but during COVID and going to the vet and she's sick and not good. Yeah. And like, I I mean, a lot of pets don't dig going to the vet. I mean, they, I mean, some love parents. (laughs) (laughs) And, And with the prescription, with the, the medicines, that's a good point too, though, because when I, I remember when, when my dog had a heart issue, it was so hard to get the medication and so expensive. And, and I mean, at the time too, I was a law student. So I, I did like, I, I didn't anticipate having, you know, that sort of new, new financial burden, but then I'm like, well, you can't, I can't not get her the medicine. So I, been, I remember there was a few years, it was just right. I paid a lot of money. And then when she passed, I had all this extra medicine. For, yeah. And then I was like, it was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I, and I did go to a local shelter and I was like, and I had I donated all her beds and toys. And I was like, I have this medicine. I don't know if you can take it, but I, I, I you know, and one shelter wouldn't take it. Another shelter did take it. I don't know if that was the right thing for them to do, but they did. I was like, I don't yeah. know. I, you might have pets in your care that could need this. I don't know. But yeah, well, you know, proof is in the pudding. Like I said, we have our program called RX Express. I don't know if I said that before, but that's the pharmacy program that currently is operating through Walmart and uh, Sam's Club. And one of the things we've seen is on average, pet parents um, buy six months worth of flea tick and heartworm for their pets, um, you know, through whatever channel they go through today. Our customers who are going through this Pet RX Express program at Walmart and Sam's Club are buying nine months of flea tick and heartworm. So they're giving they're more than 50% or 50% more protection for their pets over the course of a year. And it's still costing them less money, right? So we can see that this idea of I'm prevent, preventing more illness than I was before because there's more access is working. So we just want to do more and more of that. Um, and. Although, have you heard anything about the vet offices getting upset about having easier access and cheaper access to <laughs> medicine? Because usually that that was big. That's big business for them, especially yeah. the heartworm. I mean, they they get you when you're there, and they sell right. it to you there. Um, so I I'm sure there's some rumblings of them being yeah, unhappy. But I think you know because there are other you know online. Yeah. pharmacies and pet supplies companies and whatnot that are already doing this. I, it, they're a little bit, I don't want to say comfortable, but more used to it, right? It's not a surprise that there are going to be new avenues for people to get medicines. Um, that doesn't make them entirely happy. But at the same time, we also do a lot for veterinarians. They're, they're first and foremost, right? We want to support them. In fact, veterinarians um, who um have patients who have nationwide pet insurance have more than double the lifetime value from a revenue perspective um, than patients who don't, right? So they're just by fact that they're seeing our members, they're already um, doing better business than they would otherwise. Um, And we have a whole team that's focused on veterinary relations. We work in all of the vet schools in the U.S. um, to help veterinarians or future veterinarians learn how to run their veterinary business, right? So there's a lot of programs we have that help them that um, counterbalance other things that we're doing, but it's regardless, it's all in the name of pet health. Um, That is what we're focused on. And sometimes that means 
with the veterinarian. And sometimes that means we do things that um, are still good for pet health and are uh, a complement to the veterinarian. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, I mean, things have to evolve, you know, and I think it's all evolving in the, in the right way. That's right. Um, And to be honest, we have not had like significant backlash. We're good partners to the veterinary community. And I think they recognize that. And and in reality, you're helping them too. I mean, I, I, I think if someone were to come in and they, their, their pet had an issue and they're, they're carrying insurance and it might be a question of, can I afford it? And whether or not they proceed with, you know, the next step and that they can proceed with because they have an insurance that's helping that, right. that veterinarian. I mean, they're providing the service, but they're, they're getting paid for that service that's that right. is good in the best interest of the pet, but it, it, it makes it more accessible to, to, yeah. And just think of the flip side, there is a really tragic statistic and I don't know the number, but very heavy, um, mental health, uh, debt on veterinarians and, and their teams. And just think about the alternative, like people putting down pets who don't need to be put down. And that weighs on the people who actually have to do it and follow the owner's direction because again, they're property, right? Um, and that's a horrible alternative too. Yeah. And so it's important that we do what we can to make sure that people can at least give their pet a baseline of care um, even if it's not the optimal care. Yeah. If you have that situation where a pet is put down, is there an ins- a line of insurance that compensates for the pet for, you know, as a result, like, it, is there similar to life insurance? Is there, um, do you yeah. issue that type of line? We, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I can speak to the specific benefit, but within some of our plans, there are, um, benefits around and besides the cost of the euthanasia, but other benefits around end of life, or if your pet is stolen or something like that, where there is coverage uh, for the expense that you've taken on. Yeah. Well, on that note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the sad ending. Um well, we because we are just about out of time, but Heidi, I didn't want to let you let you go without asking this, and I ask this of pretty much every single person that come comes on the, this podcast. Um, but you know, looking at where where you are now and knowing you know how you've grown over your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Take more risks. Like, just yeah. take. You're not. You can't get ahead. You can't advance if you want to be comfortable. Being comfortable is the enemy of of getting farther in your career or really any kind of change you want to make in your life. And so take more risks and, you know, don't do it without thinking through the consequences and what your plan B is going to be. You should always have those things and know that you can survive if something happens, you know, that you've thought through. Um, But take more risks. And don't listen to people who just want to rain on your parade or are so um, non-change focused themselves that they think that, you know, they want to warn you not to take that step because it could be bad. You know, if you've done your analysis and your thinking and you know that you can survive or have an alternative plan if it doesn't go the way you like, then go take the risk. Take it. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice. 
Um, but, and one thing I wanted to follow up with, and I'm going to have to credit Joe for, for mentioning this. Um, did you and your family have UConn winning in the basketball pool? <laughs> I did not play in the pool because I didn't get it in on time. And my oh, husband no. Did, my husband did not. And our daughter is, I think I told you, Megan, my daughter graduated UConn Law. So she's a UConn alum. And uh, and I paid taxes there for 25 years. I'm like, <laughs> anyway, but we were really happy that they won. Even though living in Southern California now, everybody here that I know is rooting for San Diego. I was like, no, UConn's going to win this. <laughs> Follow-up cool. question is, do you insure hus- Husky? Is that the, that, is that the UConn? We do insure Husky. <laughs> <laughs> They're the mascot. <laughs> Well, yeah, my, yeah, both my daughters had UConn winning. So then my youngest, my eight-year-old won the pool and it, a, a whopping a hundred dollars that she wow. thinks she's going to go buy. I don't like, she thinks she's buying all these things. Good to her. A hundred dollars is like a fortune. Um, but yes, yeah, my niece, niece goes there, but they were very excited. And when they were p- making their picks, I was like, you, you, that you could win with that one, you know, like yeah. you know, no one else is going to have them. And if, well, I think I think I heard them say that they are the most winning team uh, for the championship since 1999. They've had five uh, yeah. wins, right? And it was funny because I was my daughter was in the room. She was born in 99, a different daughter than I mentioned before. And I was like, in your lifetime, nobody has won more championships than you got. <laughs> so it was like a big, yeah. I, big, you know, big night in the Sirota household. <laughs> and the men's and the women's team. Yes. You know, they're, the they're women both, are yeah, they're the incredible. right. They're they're top notch. That's right. Yeah. Well, and maybe, it looked I, like they were clearly the best team this year from what I saw. I mean, they had those two seven foot players yep joe's reaching way above our knowledge right now (laughs) that's why you had a man on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) uconn knows the formula and oftentimes it works right sometimes they uh you know get they lose but more often than not it works well heidi i appreciate you so much taking the time to talk with us you i you have such a busy schedule and I appreciate you carving out a, an hour to indulge Joe and I in all things pet yeah, <laughs> and it insurance. So fun. <laughs> it was uh, so much fun. I love talking about pets. Who, who doesn't? <laughs> and I will say for all our listeners out there, you know, please, you know, nationwide pet, look into them for any of your pet insurance needs. Um, and I'm good. If, you have any questions you know feel free i'm gonna put you out there if you want to reach out to heidi <laughs> yeah or go to petinsurance.com to yes. look at our plans or find me on linkedin heidi sirota i uh, would love to hear from you and i'm really looking forward to um you know seeing the response that we get to this conversation it's been a really great conversation and i appreciate you having me on yeah i do as well thank, thank you. you so much heidi great thank you. you i appreciate it have a great and- day Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.